This is Corey Gray and Tony Stewart from Hairdistry. Thank you for tuning in to the Hairdressers Podcast. Now here's a word from our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yo, what's good? This is Barry Harrison, a.k.a. The Stars Barber. And uh, I just want to come at you today and tell you how schedulicity has changed my life. Like, number one, it changed my life because it helped me get more organized. I was able to structure my day, structure my week. Um, I know what type of revenue I have coming this day. If I need to run out, run an errand, uh, if I want to take lunch, I'm able to do all these things. And it just helps to structure uh, a barber or stylist or anyone that's in an appointment-driven industry. You're able to maximize your time. And time is something that you can't get back. So I value my time. And I love the customer service. And I've been with Schedulicity for over almost 10 years. I've been rocking with them for almost a decade. So happy to be part of the family. Happy. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, CEO and founder of Schedulicity. And we're proud to bring you this amazing podcast. Welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. Of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tone. What's up, buddy? What's up, homie? Not the man. Just uh, kind of want to take this opportunity to thank everybody that watched our video and uh, and, and joined the com- continued the conversation, right? Exactly. Definitely continue the conversation. Continue to own it, to share it, to share it with your clients, to yeah. let them know how much you appreciate them and yeah. you know what a special relationship uh, that we have with our clients. Without a doubt, I also want to give a big shout out to L'Oreal because I think L'Oreal is continuing our conversation and, and um, they've got a new uh, campaign that they're working on. Um, support Your Stylist, I think was the name of it or something. Yeah, it yeah. is Support Your Stylist, hashtag Support Your Stylist, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, just continue this conversation and, and just let, you know, this relationship with our clients just constantly uh evolve and bloom you know? yeah that's it man continue continue the conversation so thank you for that but we're pretty excited because here we are we're, we're winding down with 2020 uh and we've got a big giveaway coming out where uh, we're going to do the ultimate stylist kit if you haven't seen it look for it it's over it's worth over five g's it's, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're creating it. Um, one person is going to get the ultimate stylist kit. We're going to redo your entire kit. And as Tony said, man, that thing is worth over five grand. We um we have great donations from Sam Via. He put in a blow dryer and and curling irons and flat irons and and brushes and you know and you get and it's 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 his it's his artist series. So it's the top of the it's the top of his his line, right? So we get that Zuka. We have you know the, the, what a, what a great. Uh, Kind of not necessarily an underdog, but what a great 
story that someone comes steps in our in our space and creates something so innovative right yeah. that and so that, but they're going to get they're giving it stuff away and what they're giving too is they're giving um they're giving the zuka thing. if you haven't seen the zuka it's like a little silicone remember the old uh the old ironically or coincidentally today we have a barber on but you remember the old barber papers that you put around the neck this is kind of this is zuka so this is like a silicone wrap and it keeps your client clean it keeps your client dry it keeps um it uh it just keeps you clean and the one that they're giving us is is the philip wolf series which is like a matte black and very dope looking as well yep babylus 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 is uh they've donated a, a set of trimmers and a and a uh the custom the custom cuts uh effects yep. uh, clippers which yep, is that's great a... olivia uh gardens giving away um some ppe stuff which they're is getting, great they're getting some ppe stuff and um they have a couple brushes that they donate like they're detangling brushes which by the way sidebar huge fan of um uh, i like the other detangling brush that's out there but if you try to blow dry with it you might uh you might spend the next hour getting the blow trying to get it out of the hair um the oliva gardener ones um, i really like because um you can blow dry with it and they don't get all sticky in the hair yeah there's so many people giving them again maddie conrad we have from mar we have hanzo's giving away two shear you know a texturizing shear and a uh a nice cutting blade um we have a razor uh Schedulicity is giving away a, a year uh, membership. Yeah, and uh, so we got Schedulicity. We have. Julie, edit this out or edit this, uh, close this gap. Schedulicity is giving a year. Salon Scale is giving a year. And then we might, we, we have some other people too that are interested in donating. So you just never know. It's like that. It's like a secret. It's like a, it's like a secret box, you know, yeah. that we're getting into. So, so, you know, you open it up and we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll certainly, once people can um, commit and confront it, they're going to be, uh, that they're going to donate. We'll, uh, we'll jump in on there. All awesome. right. Yeah. You ready to get into today's guest, brother? Yeah, I can't wait, man. So, a uh, little backstory: um, our guest is a is a New York barber. Um, she has an amazing business in in, in Manhattan. Um, I first met her. Actually, uh, Maddie Conrad, when you were when you were away on your little vacation thing, and Maddie had to sit in uh, for you um, at at BarberCon um, last year. Gosh, it's been so long since we've been to a show. It feels feels like a million years ago. Right. Um, but anyway, so so Maddie uh, introduces to our guest today, and and you'll find that she, that she's dynamic. She's awesome. She, uh, she 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 has this great look business. I almost said little business, and that would have been offensive. But she's got this great business in Manhattan um, that that uh, as a barber, and it, it's just to me is really is interesting because when i think about like a new york barber i think of like a little italian guy in like white jackets you know <laughs> kind of cutting it up but but, uh, but she's, she's cold she's she has deal. swag she's she's definitely the real deal there is no doubt about it so our guest today is mari demondi demondi oh got it cool sort of got it um uh, you can follow her at mdm grooming on on the instagrams and you can kind of see just how freaking cool she is you know i just i, I love and, you know, I never wish my boy to fail, but I'm always excited when he uh, says names because he's he, he's only he has about a 50 percent. That's so true. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get in. So I'm not going to try again. So, Mari, man, welcome to your day off. Hey, how's it going? Thanks, thanks for making time and you're all the way in uh like upstate new york uh tuning in from upstate new york and it looks absolutely gorgeous up there yeah very very winter vibes out here i'm visiting my parents in these covid times my brother came up from south carolina so the kids are here so if you hear like cars or children or anything it's just a 
it's truly my day off. Yay, that's awesome. Like you said before, the view is beautiful. You can yeah. see the lake behind you. And is it, it you said it's been snowing every day. I mean, is there snow sticking to the ground or no? No, it's just been kind of like waking up in the morning and it's snowing and then kind of melts away and then it comes back, but oh, it hasn't really stuck yet. That's the best kind of snow, right? Know, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's either you want a foot or you want exactly. four inches, right? You don't right. want you don't want that like annoying three inches. Mushy. Exactly. So so where are you from originally? So I'm a, I'm originally from Syracuse, New York. Um I moved to New York City. I was 19, I'm 35 now. So it's been a while. I've been in New York for a long time. I've been doing men's hair basically from as soon as I stepped foot uh on Manhattan soil. Um, so I've been in the industry for a really, really long time, um, based in Manhattan, working in Manhattan, but living in Brooklyn. That's pretty cool. So did you, were you a barber before you went to Manhattan or did you kind of, well, first of all, what, what took you to Manhattan? Was it to be a barber? Was it to be a big city barber? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it, 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 I just wanted to be in New York. So it was basically finding any sort of career that was creative with my hands, um, I, like many people in the hair industry, didn't, didn't really love the college experience. I only went for like one semester for acting. And I just knew that I just wanted to be in a big city. So um, when I went to cosmetology school and then later on, I found out that for what I wanted to do, which was mostly just cutting hair, I didn't really have any interest in doing color balayage or anything like that. Um, it was suggested that I try to get my barber license uh, considering it's much more, I, I mean, some, some, a lot of people would argue with me, but I find that like much more like sculpting, much more artistic, much more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, yeah. So then I, when I went to New York city, I, I kind of was really fortunate to have both my cosmetology and my barbering license combined. Um, and then I became an assistant for a, uh, high-end men's hairstylist named Marcial Vivo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked with him for about eight years and that was it. And I just kind of, it's, it's all I've known. So you went to cosmetology school in the city? No, here and here in Syracuse, it's cheaper. Able to save money. Yeah. <laughs> so 16 years ago, like, I don't, I'm, I'm going to get slaughtered here. Right. But like, like Barbary's totally different now than it was 16 years ago. Right. Like I said, I made the joke of like when I think of a Manhattan barber, I think of a little Italian guy, you know, like like like, like, you know, buzzing up hair. Um, It just it it seems weird to me that. That that, like I totally get it now. Right. Like I get how cool barbering is. I don't think it was it didn't seem like it was it was as cool of a career to kind of get into it. Am I I making sense or am I just. No, I mean, I, I. I mean, when we talk about this, when we talk, I mean, Maddie and I have talked a lot about this. When we talk about this boom in in men's industry and men's hair grooming, I mean, that really happened, what, eight, 10 years ago, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And like throughout the 90s, the barber community and the barber scene almost completely died. There was just no, there was no conversation. There was no culture around it. A lot of people who were into barbering either were there by, they had no other choice um, or they like fell into it. There really wasn't a whole passion you know, when we talk about like the most famous hairstylists out there, we talk about like Vidal Sassoon, who basically took feminine haircuts and and took a masculine shape, like making the short haircut, the pixie haircut, really cool and trendy on females. But there wasn't really a nuance of like 
gender switching or, or elevating the men's grooming industry when it came to like an artist up until very, very recently. And now because of social media, it went from basically zero to a thousand. So now you have all of these famous barbers who are known by their aesthetic, by their look, by their their story. Like everything is just so accessible now because of Instagram. Um, but originally, I, I mean, I can't think of any famous male hairstylist from like in, in a way that like you think of Vidal Sassoon or anything like that, right? Now you can list like five off the top of your head. Who are your five? Oh God! Um, so at least a couple. Give us a couple. Okay, so I, I, I obviously. So there's different. There's different reasons, right? So for every, everyone's kind of got their own different thing. I love Maddie Conrad as just like a spokesperson of the industry. Mm-hmm. I love Robert Braid for how edgy and artistic. Like the guy is truly kind of an evil genius when it comes to his mm-hmm. designs and stuff. Um, I've been really fortunate enough to like share the stage with Robert Braid before. And what's really difficult is like, he has a hard time explaining what he can do because it just kind of comes to him. And that's like, to me, a really true creative soul. Right. Uh, James Bel- uh, Belmont uh, is one of my favorites. Um, I would say, let's see. Uh, I love it. Was, as Barbara love Whitney. Had, Whitney, of course. Right. Yeah. Vermer. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's cool too, because in the barbering space, you know, you've got like, you've got like what Rob, the original is doing. Right. But then then you've got what the rules or guys are doing. Right. It's like this big, like these kind of like classic, like really cool, cool, cool looks, but you know, but they're all like artistic in their own way. And then now, like in the last, I don't know, year or two year and a half maybe just a year though now these barbers are starting to get into color and stuff too and that's like that's like opened up this whole new kind of you know i I gotta be honest i'm a little i'm a little mad because the whole reason i went into barbering was so i wouldn't have to do (laughs) (laughs) and now it's uh but also at the same time like you really the the i think the one main thing of the hair industry is or especially the men industry we we tend to up until this point really pigeonholed ourselves and like well there's the classic cuts and then they're not classic cuts and then there's like only the fade people and then there's only blah blah so the fact that we're kind of breaking down these barriers progressively whether it's like longer haircuts and then color or whatever it is is i think massive it's huge um sorry animals and kittens <laughs> like, okay. we're like out here so there's yeah, lots of we've, we've lots had of with uh with rabbits jumping around on the floor <laughs> like yeah a cat in your lab ain't no ain't no stress no so so okay so you got your barber's license in syracuse uh, from and then you decided you're going to take that trade down to the to the big city mm-hmm. yeah so in new york city and this is pretty um typical in a big city, especially like if you go to London, pretty European, but uh, the idea of being an assistant for a long time. So even though I had my cosmetology license, I, especially New York City standards, I was not ready to have clientele of myself and be on the floor. And so I became an assistant for this guy, Marcial, for, I think I was his assistant for about four years. And, um, you know, that really taught me a lot about, I mean, I learned a lot in my craft, but really what I learned working underneath him was the customer service space, how to treat clients, how to treat clients and um, 
the amount of respect and the amount of, you know, just over the top luxury that he would offer. Um, he charges, I think like over $400 a haircut now and he just does men's hair. And he always was kind of like this revolutionary, he's French, like very, anything that you could like the whole, the interior, everything was like sleek and black and blah, 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 all that stuff. I mean, and this was in 2005. So this was like completely unheard of before. In 2005, I think he was charging $85 a haircut. And now he's like at 400. Um, and, uh, so I learned a lot of skill, I think, on my own, especially when I started to really do more showcases, started hanging out with people that I really admired. But the customer service thing, which I think is something that isn't really spoken about as much, like you don't really, I love the Rusal group and I love, you know, watching these amazing people on stage teaching me how to do a lot of techniques that I don't know how to do, but you never have someone going up there and talking about how can you charge a $150 haircut. And what's required and how much of that is skill set, how much of it is hospitality based, right? So I learned that I think being an assistant, just how to treat people. So so did he own you said you you you, you apprentice or under him, you you know, you assistant assisted yeah. him for four years. Did he own the shop? So he uh worked there, he worked at a hair salon on the Upper East Side. There was like a women's portion portion of the salon and then there was the men's portion of the salon he was the head of the men's department gotcha. so um and it was very very small only two chairs which is done very well and then I worked with him for about a year or two there and then he left and opened up his own spot and I helped him open up that spot he I think I forget I think that was like 13 years ago that he opened his or something like that 10 years ago mm-hmm. um Oh, we opened in 2008 because I remember like the, everything crashed <laughs> and we're like, the timing. The, the timing of everything was so, you know, um, it's in Manhattan. It's the most expensive men's salon to ever open up in that time. And then the market crashed and we're just like, okay, if we can make it through this year, then we're good. And then we made it through that year. Okay. If we make it through one more year, then we're, we'll, we'll know we're good. And then we made it through that year. And what I found out was that even though people were losing their jobs and things were really uncertain, the clientele that wanted to spend a hundred or whatever dollars a haircut, they almost demanded more because that was, it was kind of like a safe haven. It was a safe spot for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you take something as traditional and old school as like a traditional barbershop, and then you add this, nuance of luxury so you have someone who not only knows your name and your family and everything that's going on in your day-to-day life but then they give you like a 20 dollar or 20 year scotch like what's there i mean that's like okay. the where the it's almost like cheers like that really uh-huh. that that mentality where like everyone knows your name right. but with an elevated um customer service base to that and i just found it like kind of blew my mind because i was like who would spend this much money on something <laughs> like a haircut Right. And if anything, people really wanted to show up at a place that they felt comfortable and, and show up in a place where they still, you know, work may have been hard, but they're always going to be treated like kings inside of this space. And um, yeah, so that's, so I helped him open up there and then I worked there for a little bit longer and then left and did my own thing. So if I come, Mari, if I come to uh, to visit your salon, and, and I don't mean as a one-time, not as a one-off, but if I visit your salon or if I'm if I'm a client of yours, like what? 
what 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 and it's not even a service but but what luxuries are, are do you offer um so well before uh the pandemic i was doing beard trims and hair color and um haircuts just normal haircuts and then also cleanups so but now with covid is pretty much down to just haircuts <laughs> um but, uh, and then, so basically the way that I, the way that I kind of break it down as far as like it, the service starts as soon, because those are the services that you can, you can book online. That's the way I say it. So there's like, you can book a haircut online, uh-huh. but really it starts as soon as you walk in the door. So it's like, you know, getting greeted at the door, getting offered a beverage. Um, there's usually some form of seasonal drink alcoholic drink happening right, or right. like some sort of beer whatever like that and um and then we and then I have an hour long for each client because I like spending five minutes sitting there and asking how they're doing seeing how what's going on how's the family blah 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 and then we get into the actual haircut thing and then from there it's a shampoo a, cons- a consultation a shampoo cut rinse and right. then a style um so it's a whole process of beyond that, right? Um, but the the services that I offer, like that you can book online, are basically haircuts, beard trims, uh, gray coverage, and a cleanup. That's pretty sweet. How um did you? So, are you at a barber shop now, or or when you left when you left the uh, the French guy? What's his name? Marcel Vivo. Marcel. Marcel. Yeah. When Marcel. Um, Marcel. <laughs> Um, when, when you, when you left there, where did you, uh, are you at a barbershop or. So I left there and then, um, uh, I wanted to try. So I, I, I also worked with this woman, uh, Erica Fleischman for about five years because I wanted to see what it was like. She, she owns, um, uh, also high-end men's salon in Manhattan, but I wanted to see what the situation would be like working only with women run by women sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. So I tried there for about five years and it was, it was good. It was like, a, I learned a lot about the business side of things. She was, she was very, very smart, very savvy when it comes to what clients want, how to get in the chair, how to get new people in. Um, she's just kind of like a busybody like that. So I learned a lot from her. And then after about five years, I was kind of like, I wanted to travel a little bit more. I started my, my community circle started to open up a lot more meeting you, going to hair shows, meeting Maddie, traveling. And it just started to turn into a situation where it's it's super hard to have a boss when you're always like, can I leave? Can I like go to <laughs> Texas good. for a week? Or can I like go to the BTC awards? Or can I go to ISSC in Long Beach? And um, the people, I mean, you guys know this because you're part of that sort of traveling community of barbers. It's hard to explain to the 90% of the community that don't do that sort of stuff, the traveling of the education platforms and all that stuff. It's super hard to explain them why it's important to you. Right. Cause you're just like, why would you want to hang out at the job center? Why would you want to go to like a, you know what I mean? Like, why would you want to go to a huge convention center and like hang around and like, you know, bullshit with all these people. And it, and, and so for me, it was really hard to explain that to a boss constantly asking time off. And it just turned into, you know, I want to start educating a little bit more or at least trying my hand in it. So then I um, found a studio to rent out. So now since then I've been in a studio on my own. It's just basically like a room with 
a chair and a shampoo bowl, but I've been there now for over three years. Yeah, we're in the studio as well, and uh, we've been there for about the last eight years. So you guys were in it, because the studio scene, and I think with COVID, is going to like definitely pop off. You guys were in it before well, it, it was even it, an option. It's really weird, though, Mari, in our area in D.C., it just... It, it's kind of new too. It's only been around for like 10 years. I mean, certainly if you look at like Cali, Cali or Florida, Florida has been that way for, for 20 plus years, you know, um, so Eric Taylor opened up salon Republic. Well, that was the early nineties too. Right. Yeah. And then Texas as well. So it's, it's kind of weird how like this mid Atlantic area, we're right outside of DC, but mm-hmm. how this mid Atlantic area has kind of like, it's taken a, it's taken a little bit to a little bit of time. Right. Kinda. I'm surprised it hasn't caught on in bigger cities. To, yeah, um, I know LA is just starting to pop off with the whole studio thing. I know New York is, um, especially in a place like New York City where the rent is so insanely high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, when a lot of people ask me about the studio versus salon lifestyle, I, it's a little frustrating because it really, it, there is no right or wrong way of doing it. It's mostly like what do you want to get out of it. Um, working in a salon, I didn't have to worry about finding new clients. That was someone else's problem, you yeah. know, or like. I had my own assistant that was paid for, or I, you know, I didn't have to do the shampoos and the laundry and all that stuff. However, I had to ask anytime I needed time off. I had to, you know, explain my reasoning of why I was flying off to all these random places or in a lot of, you know, in a lot of bosses out there, it's a creative industry. There's a lot of egos. You don't necessarily love the idea of someone working for them and like going off and getting educated by someone else. Right. Or, you know, and, and I, and I understand that like level of, if you are a business owner, how much do you want someone shining who works underneath you? Um, I know that caused a lot of conflict in my last place of business where it's like, you know, meeting all these amazing people, I'm doing all these amazing things, but I'm not really doing it for the salon. I'm doing it because I want to elevate myself and some people, and, and, and I understand why as a boss, that could be a little problematic. Right. 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 So that's, um, I, I mean, you, you bring up some good points there. You know, I mean, I couldn't imagine doing it. Could you imagine like our travel schedule, like having to work for somebody? No, if, I'm, it'd be impossible. If I had Mar- a staff, we, Mar- if Mar- I we have, have a hard enough time asking our wives. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. True. True. Uh, but like, honestly, I mean, if I, if I had a staff, if I was like in charge of I don't know, eight people in a small salon and one person was always leaving every month to like do, I, I'm not making my bottom line. They're not, they're not making me money through the door. Right. That That's, that's a, that's a hard conversation. That's a really hard thing to discuss with someone who, you know, you're paying their bills too. They have families to feed too. So for me, it just was better to just cut that sort of situation out of the, equation entirely and just kind so of do you have a little somewhere. scotch bar in your studio i did until covid and now everything has to be like single serve only yeah but and then it's very hard to have a drink with a mask on but normally mm-hmm. yes yes we have i usually try to have like something clear and something dark yeah it's usually and it's great too because now i can write off like whiskey tasting off in uh, taxes no, that's awesome. Yeah, we need to create like a mask that has a like a 
where you can fit a straw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With a little straw flap. Yeah, exactly. a little, little zip on the back. It, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you know, like, uh, Mari, I've been saying, or, or we've been talking about, like, you know, the one the one big loser in this COVID is environmental, right? Because we had kind of, even in our salon, we had kind of gotten away from uh. cups and all that stuff. We had gone to glasses and mugs and stuff. But now, like, yeah, those things are put away and people don't even want to look at them. So frustrating. It's super frustrating because, you know, um, my clients come in with these, you know, washable masks and every single time I'm like, you're going to have to use a throwaway mask because I can't cut. I have to like, you know, do the whole thing. You're going to get hair all over your mask. Like, do you want to dispose of one? And it kill and it kills me every single time. Cause I'm just like, they're going to wear it for an hour and then they're going to throw it away. <laughs> like there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I know I'm with you on that. That's the most frustrating thing lately is the, like how how much plastic and paper that we've been using through all, all this. It's so weird too. Like you walk down the street and you see a mask on the street, you know, like you a year ago, you would have never seen that. And if so, you would like, you would, you would social distance yourself from that mask. Yeah. You don't know where. It, well, but, even like in, in March, it was like, if you saw a mask on the floor, you were like, I mean, people are dying out here. No one can find PPE. Like you don't just throw a mask on the floor. Like, do you know what I mean? And now right. it's just everyone you can get them. Right. Um, off the like side of the street, you can get them at any bodega. <laughs> I was I was having this thought in early early March. I had a client come in, and she's a doctor, and um and and she's she's of the uh the vulnerable age, right? So she asked me if I'd wear a mask, you know, and I'm the only, at this point, I'm the only person in the salon wearing the mask. And I felt so insecure. And so like all that, like all that stuff was bubbling up on me. Like, what are people going to think? I'm running around with the mask. And then, you know, just last week I was, she was in last week and I was, and I was thinking like, how comfortable everybody is or, or more comfortable now. Now you feel weird if you're not wearing a mask, right? But just how quickly six months has changed stuff. I mean, I think it, I, uh, you know, try, I always try to be optimistic. I, you know, when all of this first hit, I think people forget how politicized our industry became, where it was like, I can't get my hair colored and I can't get my hair cut. And like people like out protesting of their town hall with like trying to get their hair cut or trying to get their hair colored or whatever it was. And, and it was this huge dialogue and, and I'm not, I'm not making a point either way. Of, of, right. It, that doesn't matter. But I just mean, I thought it was really intriguing to be like how it's like oxygen, right? You don't think about it. You take it for granted until someone takes it away from you. And then that's all you think about. <laughs> like it's right. all you think about is when you're going to get your next breath. So I think it, if anything, I think the situation really, I know it's super tough for all of us out there, regardless of, of how you like politically feel, feel either way. But the one upside is, I mean, people really like realized how, how much they relied on that monthly service or bi biweekly service or that, that it's, it's more than just feeling good and looking good. It's also the sense of just, um, normalcy and, yeah. and, and how much you, need that right like um if you're so used to going to bed at the same time every day and then you suddenly fly to china your whole system's off and then right. it's like if you're used to getting your haircut you're used to seeing a person you're used to having that that little if you're a mom a single mom of two kids and you get that one hour every three months like you you, you know you don't realize until it's gone of how important that is to your own well-being and i think um that was huge when we were open back up I think, I, I don't know, I mean, you guys tell me, because you've been talking to a lot more people in the industry than I have, but I feel like with my client base, the, 
I have lost a lot. I mean, everyone has, but the people who are back are so grateful to just have that little, little bit of normal back in their lives that, that, that we didn't have for four or five months. That's crazy to me. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think only uh, probably roughly 50% of the clientele is back. The other, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, people are still scared and, you know, I don't blame them, virtually so, but you guys, you were the first to close down. Uh, you guys, uh, we all had our eyes on you guys. How, how was it in New York going through that? That's, uh, I mean, cause you know, again, all eyes were on you guys cause you, you guys, you know, were the, the first. Yeah. I, uh, it's interesting. I started reading this book called the body keeps score, which is about how the body and the mind internalizes trauma. And, uh, and the reason I started reading it is because I wanted to have a little bit more of an understanding that when we get out of this, whether it's people in the industry, myself, my family, grandparents who haven't seen their children in, in forever, um, you know, people who've lost clientele, whatever it is, my clients, everyone is going to have post-traumatic stress disorder when we get out of this. I'm, I'm just like, I can feel it. <laughs> it's going to happen already. People are a little like, so I kind of want to understand a little bit more of what actually physically happens to the body when we go through a trauma, like we have been experiencing globally as a unit. And I want to understand that because I think that would help benefit not just me behind the chair, but also just me as someone who is a part of an industry that's been going through all of this together. And like being in New York city. Yeah. Us being the first ones to shut down. It wasn't even that we shut shut down. It's like, Oh, um, Tom Hanks has it. And then the next day we were like, it shut down. (laughs) There was no, we just didn't know what was going on. And the fact that New York was kind of the first hot zone, it was terrifying. It was really, really terrifying. It felt like being a bit in a war zone. It, It doesn't help also that the weather in New York City in March and April is the worst. So it's cold, it's raining. No one, everyone is like wiping all of your groceries down when you walk in the house and taking your shoes off and like you can't see anyone and all you hear is sirens. And um, the running route that I have in South Brooklyn, which was um, about a mile away from where I used to live, there was like a big hot zone. And there was a funeral home that I used to run past. And they had to extend the funeral home out into the street um, with like these tents because there was just so many bodies coming in at one point and um and that was terrifying so like running and you're like I I feel like I'm in a Steven Spielberg film like I just it was just such a very very surreal way of experiencing something that everyone was like hit by um and I'm really proud of the city to turn it around we're in the process of probably shutting down again and that's uh that's its own scary thing because I'm like, I just got to like everyone else. I think I'm like, I just have to get to the new year. I have to get through the holidays. Like everyone in the industry, the holidays is when you make like you're saving money. Yeah. You know, throughout the year, you got to pay your bills. You got to pay your tax. You got to do your stuff. The holiday season, that's when you make that tip money. (laughs) That's when you, you know what I mean? Like that's when, that's the money that you can save away. And so I was really looking forward to it. And now it looks like there might not even be that. Cause it looks like we're probably going to be shutting down before uh, Christmas hits. Wow. So 
it's just one of those things where um, it's just affected everybody. And in one way it, that unifies us, but on the other way, it kind of separates us because there is no. Well, it unifies thing. us by separating us. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, we're, like when someone says, oh, we're all in the same boat together. I'm like, we're not in the same boat. Maddie says this too. It's like, we're all in the same storm. Yeah. Right. So if we were all in the same boat together, I know so many of my colleagues that had to shut down their doors and let a lot of their employees go. I don't have anyone to worry about other than myself. And so for that, I'm very, very, very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm complaining about struggling and stuff, I have to ch- keep my privilege in check. I'm a very successful white girl <laughs> that has a great family with a great view. I charge an obscene amount of money, even through a global pandemic, and I have people paying it, which is crazy. And those people are now no longer clients, they're fans. And as soon as you get that fan base, I mean, you're pretty much set for life. And I'm very fortunate enough to like have a solid fan base. And, the, and like, you need to get clients to get a fan base, but people are so worried about, oh, my clientele's gone down, my clientele's gone down. I'm like, but if you have, if 30, Five percent of your main clientele are fans, like people that would follow you to a different location or cheer you on when you raise your price five dollars. You're set. You'll be fine. Like you'll you'll make it through. You won't be able to like buy a brand new car, but you'll be able to pay your bills. And that and that is the most important thing of customer service is, is creating that trust with a client so that do become fan based. And then I'm, intrigued. I'm intrigued by this, by this. What, there was a book years ago called Raving Fans. Are you familiar with that one? Book? Yeah, no. the, but I think it's basically, I mean, kind of what you were saying. It was like, how do you build a clientele? And it's not, it's not a hairdressing book. It's just a business book. Mm-hmm. Just, just a business book. I wish I could get rid of just out of my vocabulary yeah. because it, it seems to like belittle what I'm really trying to say. Right. But, um, but it's a business book called Raving Fans. And I think that that's, that's kind of the premise of it. I have to, it's been many, many years since I've read it. But I'll have to look that up. Yeah, R- raving fans is is the name of it. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into that a little bit, Mar. Yeah. So, where did you come up with your fan philosophy, and 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 how did you how did you build that? Um, so the fan philosophy actually came from uh, Andrew does hair. Andrew, mm-hmm. also another amazing top five evil geniuses. Yeah. Um, and he would. I remember going to see him in Philadelphia. He'd done a class with uh, uh, Kenny Duncan, and um, and he, what I thought was really interesting was that like, I thought I was going to learn how to fade because it's one of the best, you know, Duncan's like one of the best uh, clipper Fader. fader person I've ever met in my entire life. Um, I was super fortunate that the very first class I ever taught was with him. He asked me to do a sheer class with him in Philly like four years ago. And that kind of really opened my eyes a lot. But he did a class with Andrew and I thought I was just going to learn how different clipper techniques and all stuff. And Andrew got up there and started talking about customer service. And he really like, you know, when you have those like aha moments, it was always there, like right in the front of your forehead, but there was just some sort of like, like someone had like wiped it with Windex. And I suddenly was like, Oh wow. Like, (laughs) like I suddenly had this aha moment where I wanted someone to help find the vocabulary to figure out where I was at in the industry, right? Because realistically, I'm not known for any sort of crazy techniques. I'm not known for any sort of like amazing photography skills. I'm kind of known for being that girl in Manhattan that charges a lot. 
And so running with that in the industry and running with that as far as an education base, no one really cares so much about how I'm holding shears. They want to know how the hell I got to charging $150 haircut. And so watching Andrew, he was the one that was like, there's clients and then there's fans. And I was like, that's it. That's exactly it. Because me leaving a salon and going into a private studio. Now the studio is not, not as conveniently located. It's not in Midtown where everyone like works. It's in Chelsea, a little bit more of an artistic area. It's on the 10th floor of some random building. It's not in the storefront building. So, you know, it's not that much energy, but it's a little bit more energy than just like walking in from the street. Right. So when I was, I was so nervous when I left I was like, I don't really have any money saved up. I'm, this is like, I hope this works out, blah, blah, blah. And then to see how many people really followed me that that I started to realize how important that fan base is, much more than the clientele business. Um, I also spoke to a client who used to work for um, the Four Seasons Hotel. And he, obviously he's like a pro in customer service base. And he said something that was also really interesting too. He was like, if... Someone who has come to us for 10 years and wants the suite, uh, they're going to get the suite. Like sure. it's, it's less money to keep a regular customer who's willing to spend that money. It costs less energy and less money than it is to find a new person off the street and have them keep coming in. And to me, that blew my mind as well. Right. Because we're so, we're so used to being like, are you busy? Are you fully booked weeks in advance? Are you this? How many new clients are you getting in? And I think that hustle is is really important in our industry, but I think we tend to lose a little bit that it's really about the people that you want around, both in life and and when you're standing behind the chair, right? So Andrew helped me a lot with with that, figuring that all that out. That's pretty cool. You know, that's kind of spot on too, because I mean, you you, you do... Uh, like I have a clientele base very similar that, that um, I just really enjoy being around them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, like the, the, the level of success or what success means to you, I think for a lot of people, you'd automatically be like, well, I want to make X amount of figures, hundred, hundred K a year or whatever it is. For me, success was, I want to walk in, be able to pick my own music and be able to look at my fully booked schedule and realize that everyone in there is like someone I enjoy. Yeah. Like to me, that, that means I've made it. I'm good mm-hmm. and I'll be okay. You know, regardless of whatever is in my bank account. Maddie has a great, Maddie has a great quote. Maddie Conrad has a great quote about success and he goes, you know, success is how other people um, see you. Uh, fulfillment mm-hmm. is what you should be striving for. Yeah. You know, and I think that, and, and that, you know, I, that's it, right? Yeah. Like, you know, none of it matters if you're not fulfilled. I mean, that's with, whether it's family or or whatever, you know. Now, having and, a certain dollar amount makes that a lot easier yeah. because you can kind of like you're not you're not in that grind. And less of like a fill and you know all this like philosophical debate about it. That's great, but also if you're looking at it in dollars and cents, I don't want to spend more money than I have to as a business of one. So if it costs me less money to keep people behind my chair than it is to find new people off the street yeah, I'm going to be doing that. Like, you know what I mean? Like just efficiently. Um, and I think productivity being busy doesn't mean that you're being efficient. Being busy doesn't mean that you're being productive. Um, 
I would rather just have those 10 clients a day that I know I can be as efficient as possible, create an experience that they are feel rewarded by and trust that that will lead to find clientele probably slower than me mm-hmm. going out there and handing out my cards and doing all that stuff. But the people that do find me are the people that want to be there. Right. So that's I know that, I, I mean, that's the way that I look at things. I know I'm also in a very specific situation that I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to be in where I, I don't have to struggle too much about filling in my, my empty spots as much. So I'm pretty fortunate in that aspect. Mar, you mentioned that you do 10 clients a day. What, um, how long are your appointments? My appointments are an hour. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty long day. Also keep in mind, I, God, I, I need to stop doing this. This is me. This is, this is something that has to do with me. I need to stop being um, embarrassed by this. I only work two days a week. So I only work on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So for me that again, go to going back to being the efficient aspect, um, I would rather work two busy days, mm-hmm. long days to like 10 hour long days. And then, you know, originally it was the rest of the time I was going to travel or go to hair shows or do whatever. Obviously none of that's happening. So now, so now I'm just working two days and then sitting around the rest of the time. But, um, it's just, uh, it goes, yeah, it goes back to kind of that being efficient sort of thing where I'm only working what I, what I think is, is, is enough to get all of my clients in. Right. I mean, for the last 20 years though, Tony and I, we've worked four days a week, you know? Yeah. So like we've kind of, we, we've broken that, that five day tradition. And by the way, if I ever owned a salon, I, I think I'd almost make it mandatory to work four days a week. Cause th- those three days off are, are, are super productive, are super, um, uh, you just, you get to let down a little bit, right? It seems like, you know, if it's two days a week, it's like, well, you work the night before, so you're trashed, you know, and then like, you're, you're kind of gearing up for the next day. So it's like that, that day in between of the off days, I think it's pretty I think, I, I think society as a whole, no one should be working five days. <laughs> like, I don't think, I feel like Mondays shouldn't, should, Monday should be Sunday. Like, I don't, I don't see what you really get out of having two days off. Mm-hmm. You don't really know what, what, what do you really get done? What sort of, what sort of family values are you really able to like shove into 48 hours? Right. Um, and yeah. Cause I mean, half of the 48 hours, you're just getting stuff done that needs to be done around the house or, exactly. or chores. Yeah, exactly. 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 And, be, oh no. What was that? You're up. Well, I was going to say like, even just in, even like chores around the house and all that stuff. But so be, between sleeping, working and chores, when do you actually get to like, be be a person yeah be a a person you know what i mean right i wonder i wonder like and i bet if we did some research it would go back to the unions but but who created this right who created the five day eight hour day work work day but you know i would bet it's probably like with the unions because you know let's be honest you know there's been there's been a business has had reputation of like killing people too it's the american way i think because you know when you see like european uh uh you know taking you know three four five six week vacations and stuff like that and here we are we're lucky to get a week or two weeks you know yeah it's work 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 i mean it's it is it's a very american way of living and i think that is also shifting um in the same way that the barber scene is shifting where it's not like a bunch of italian guys in white coats anymore (laughs) you have people you have people who are famous 
for cutting hair like Julius Caesar, like someone, someone that a normal person could probably recognize down the street. And, um, and I know a lot with my clientele, they're like working at startups and Google and they're not even going to an office. There is no office. Like it, right. their, their hours are, there's like beanbags and stuff like happening. So I do see like the work ethic changing and I'm hoping that will shift into not just the upper layer of the barber scene, but like in the full down, the people who are working still in the proper traditional barbershop that they'll actually see like, oh, I can work three to four days and just be as efficient, make just as much money. Right. You know? It's actually interesting. And, and, you know, who knows what's ahead of us as far as like how this all like, but, but like our shop and a lot of hair salons are put in like business district, right? It's where the business people are. It's where people, you know, go to and stuff. Well, that's all shifting, right? Because, you know, to your point, like a lot of people are working from home. And I think even on the other side of COVID, people are going to continue to work at home because it's a lot cheaper for business to do as well. My sister who works in an accounting firm um, early, early on. They, well, first of all, her boss never wanted to work at home, right? But early, early on, they realized that they're 98% efficient, you know, mm. not having an office. So now they're like, why are we spending all this money? You know, they're spending way more than 2% in efficiency to have an office. So moving forward, I don't know if they're going to have a space. So, you know, we've built we've built these spaces where there's, it's, it's business spaces where salons are or where barbershops are. Like, like does that change? Right. Yeah, it's got to, you would think. I mean, it has to. But also, again, um, it's one of those things where uh, in the hair, and when you look at the hair salon and the and the women's side, the women aspect of the hair salon, right. I feel like they are much more relaxed. I've seen a lot of colorists only work one, maybe two days out of the week. But for whatever reason, in the barber scene, we're really help, like holding on to this traditional aspect of it. Like you really have to grind it out. You really have to work mm-hmm. and it's shifting and it's going to happen. Um, but I'm excited about the day where we can look back on the industry and be like, man, remember when we used to bust our ass five days out of, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so glad that's over. I'm like, I'm so glad that that's not even like a, a situation that we have to think about anymore, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, sh- and, and I love what we do. And I love, I think, I think people who do hair, I think people who specifically do men's hair are the most intelligent, creative, outgoing people, the most headstrong people, the most resilient people in, in any other industry that I've ever really witnessed or seen next to like nurses, because I, I, you know, we had to fight to have some sort of dignity and respect, not even just outside as a community, but within like our own culture. And the amount of uh, diversity that happens in our industry, much more than I even say on the women's aspect of doing hair. Um, We have people from literally all walks of life, people who can't speak English, um, single fathers. um, We have a lot of people in like the gay community and the transgender community and people from overseas and like people cutting hair at their basement, people cutting hair at high end places. It's just so incredibly um beautiful to me to see people come together and the one thing that the only thing that we really ever have in common is that we like doing men's hair and that is and that also like the the difference of men's hair is also so extreme so it's just been yeah that's pretty that's that's pretty awesome and it's so true though i mean even like even in the barber world like 
how many times have we heard the story about somebody, you know, picking up the trade in prison or something, you know, and kind of and kind of moving forward, you know, from, you know, once again, a, a, an upstate New York white girl and this guy that just got out of prison, you know, it's kind of that their worlds are the same in a, in, in, in a way, right? Yeah. Kind of cool. I've been, um, uh, and I would really suggest people look into this organization. It's called, uh, um, um, I've been mentoring for the Innocence Project. I don't know if anyone's oh, ever yes. heard of it. Yes. So yes, yes. I, I would really recommend that people look into this. Um, so obviously, I, I've been uh, working with this guy, Leroy, who had spent 30 years incarcerated, wrongfully accused, was found innocent about two years ago, left. And the first thing he wants to do, he's 60 years old. And he went to prison when he was 30. And the first thing he wants to do is open up a barbershop in Connecticut. And um, to me, that was like, he's, he comes in, or well, this is before COVID. He was coming in once a week. And I didn't have to teach him anything about actually cutting hair. He's way better at cutting hair because he's been doing it for 30 years in prison. Right. But the only thing that he doesn't really have, he has a hard time understanding is like things like online booking, <laughs> collect, collecting money sending out invoices, finding new clientele, paying taxes, uh, which is another reason why I love technology and like uh, some of these online booking systems. Uh, I know Schedulicity is one of them. They do it so easily that someone like Leroy, who has been away from day-to-day culture for the past three decades, can jump out in the system and sign, and, and sign up for an online booking system and create a new, and create a new clientele for himself. To me, that's, you can't do that. What other, what other system can you do that? What other industry can you do that in? And um, so anyways, I would really recommend if anyone wants to like, especially with, to, to create some sort of control in your day-to-day life and you're just sitting around with some extra time to do, I would really recommend that like, you look into, the, into that sort of organization. And there's a lot of people coming out of um, prison who have these skill set jobs. A lot of them love the barber culture. And if you can reach out and find someone who may need some extra clippers and you have some few sitting around, like that sort of stuff is, is huge. It's massive for them. That's really, really cool. Right. Yep. Kind of now that everything's going off. Mara, dude, thank you so much. Um, You're very welcome. Hanging out for us and and hanging out for us, hanging out with us and, and letting us see those beautiful views behind you. But um, but if people uh, want to find you or want to hang out with you, where where can you be found? Um, yeah, so you can find me at uh, at MDM Grooming in almost everything. Um, I am always kind of like an o- open door sort of person. So I if if there's anyone who's like in Manhattan or is coming into Manhattan, they ever want to reach out, um, you can find all of my information on Instagram. Uh, don't hesitate. I've had a lot of people kind of just like want to swing by and just see what the studio is like, or if you have any questions about that stuff, like, please don't hesitate to to ask. And um, if you have any other questions about the instant project or anything like that, shoot me a line and I'll send you in the right direction. If we're in New York on a Wednesday and a Thursday, we will stream. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go try to get a haircut. Or that. We'll, we'll make her work 12 hours. She'll have to do right. two other uh, hour haircuts on it. But at 150 bucks, we have I don't enough know, hair man. for one person. So yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it's just on my face. You guys are welcome anytime. At least, at least for the drinks. Right. Th- thanks, Mar. That's all. Awesome. Right. Thank you again um, so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and just another shout out. I am a big fan of the Innocence Project. Please do your research about the Innocence Project. They're doing, they're, they're doing God's work, man. And um, and and I we really appreciate them, Miss Mare. Thank you very very much for joining us on your day off. Thanks, guys.
Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>